Hey, it's Lisa Carlin from Attacking Third to tell you about the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe. It's equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend. The Hyundai Santa Fe features available all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, plus available dual wireless charging pads, ensuring that you can take on any adventure. It's ski season, and with the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe, I can easily load the car with all my gear plus my friends in the third row and make it right to the base of the slopes with all-wheel drive. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into Attacking Third. There is so much to talk about in the world of women's football. So I'm Jenny Chu here with Lisa Carlin. Darian Jenkins and Sandra Herrera repping a Mexico kit. Let's talk about what we're repping real quick. Can we please? Sandra, let's get started with you because I love what you're wearing. You know, I'm rocking the three feminine. I had to rock Mexico today because I know we're going to chat a little bit about CONCACAF things, Gold Cup things. And one of those things is going to be the fact that Mexico got the job done. So, you know, I had to come correct. Lisa, what about you? I am wearing my Australian kit from the World Cup this summer. You're just throwing it back because we've got hey. more international tournaments coming. Yeah, I like this one. It was bright. I had to go bright today on Friday. Darian? Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Oi, oi, oi. I almost <laughs> also wore my Tegan Mike Australia kit, but I've worn it before. So I went with one I haven't worn, my Atletico Madrid kit. Love it's it, like a 4XL. I don't know why I own this, but it's very cozy, comfortable. It's it's Friday. I went I went cozy. We love it. Like love that. it. We love it. The cozy looks very stylish. Um I'm wearing Inter Milan because I want a ring. Um let's keep moving on. <laughs> uh, that's an inside joke. Sorry everyone. We're going to start with Women's World Cup news. The USA and Mexico the Netherlands, Germany, and Belgium have both submitted joint bids to host the next Women's World Cup in 2027. They joined Brazil, who put forth their bid to host last month. This is exciting, Sandra. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, it is. Look, after what has felt like months and months of interest from the United States and Mexico, along with some of the other countries that have put together their bids, now it's official. I think that's the other part of it. Now it feels like locked in, let's go. I love the branding. I love the new Heights campaign. I really liked all of the graphic design around it, kind of the the dueling eagles with different colors as well. The 2-7 kind of flashing back and forth, no matter which angle you look at it. And look, I, I like that the U.S. Soccer Federation and Mexico's Federation are kind of coming out swinging in a good way, kind of putting the front foot forward saying, not only is this our dual national joint bid, we are the best bid. And here's going to be a quick couple of reasons as to why utilizing the fact that there's going to be the men's world cup hosted across the continent in 2026. And they said, Hey, we're already going to have a lot of the infrastructure in place in general when it comes to hosting a massive event like a World Cup. That's why you got to roll with us. So I like that they're coming out there with a lot of this cool stuff and the cool branding around it, but also of a look towards the future a little bit in terms of how they're going to be best prepared to host a tournament like this, especially on a quick turnaround, because we all know that there's never a lengthy buildup to a women's world cup, unfortunately. So they need yeah. to make that decision pretty quickly and they probably should go with a couple of countries that might be ready to host. Yeah. That infrastructure is incredibly important. I know that a lot of countries struggle 
for the stadium aspects beforehand and then potentially after big events, they are left with those stadiums that took a lot of money to build and don't help certain countries. So the fact that 2026 is going to be in Canada, USA and Mexico for the men's, it kind of just makes sense to have the women's here as well in 2027. Um, But Darian, I know that there's a little bit of a question mark here as to why we don't know where that bid is going to yet when on the men's side, we know when the 2030 is going to be. Yeah, I think it's just a lack of planning on the women's side, which is kind of crazy after the success the last few years, just with the World Cup, Olympics, you see all the visibility now that women's soccer is getting and we're still having these conversations. Um, So I wish that we, you know, had a little bit more backing. There was a little bit more forward thinking of this sort of planning, but at least it's, you know what, I'm happy it's coming together now. And I hope that this is one of the final lessons of, hey, let's look at the next World Cup, the next iteration of what this could look like and where we can plan it. Because like we've said for so long, FIFA do better because the men know in 20 freaking 30 in Saudi Arabia. So it's, it's just a matter of time. And I think this is finally another reason to add pressure to these planning organizations and who's, who's actually choosing this to start a little bit earlier. Yep. We move now to Spain, where Mapi Leon has suffered a season-ending knee injury. The Barcelona defender ruptured the external meniscus of her right knee and will have surgery in the coming days. Tragic to hear that, considering that Barcelona is struggling with their injury woes at the moment. Uh, but we would come back stateside, where Angel City have announced the signing of Giselle Thompson, younger sister to Alyssa Thompson, who was last year's number one draft pick. Giselle is a defender who has been training with the club since 2023, and she was signed four days before her 18th birthday, avoiding the need for her to go into the NWSL draft. Sandra, I know that you spoke to Alyssa Thompson, and she's incredibly excited to have her sister joining on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, who wouldn't be? I think when you take a look at Alyssa Thompson and the early beginning of her career, how she went from high school to the pro level at such a young age, and really she's still within that timeline. She is still very much in the early stages of her career. So the fact that she's going to continue that now alongside her sister within the same club, she's absolutely excited about it. She told me that she can't wait for her sister to kind of get into the mix and that it's going to be nice to just sort of be able to do all of those kind of regular things that they always found themselves doing together. And now it's going to include playing club soccer at a professional level. Yeah, this is incredible because um, she was talking about how um, Alyssa was saying that, you know, Giselle has a advantage here because she has Alyssa's experience to go by and she's definitely helping her yeah. throughout that, which obviously a sister would. Um, but beautiful to hear that. We saw the kind of sneak peek on the jersey release that there was an A before Alyssa's name and that's how we kind of knew something's up here. Uh, the NWSL released the framework for the 2024 season. The regular season is set to start on March 16th with the Challenge Cup format changed to a single match between the Shield winner and the NWSL champs. This match between the San Diego Wave and Gotham FC will take place on March 15th. A new expanded playoff format was also announced that will see the top eight teams go through to the quarterfinals with no teams benefiting from a bye straight to the semis. The final will take place on November 23rd, and there will also be two breaks in the season, the first from July 8th through to the the 14th, as mandated by the collective bargaining agreement, and another from July 15th through August 18th for the Summer Olympics. The league will, however, organize a tournament for all NWSL teams, as well as some international invitees, starting the weekend of July 19th. Lisa, I'm coming to you for this because you know all about this. I know we talked about the buys potentially not helping teams, but the fact that we have a structure or a format, a a framework for this season is a good thing thus far. It's a great thing, Jenny. We we knew things were going to be a little bit different this year because the league was expanding to 14 teams. So automatically, you think that there have to be some changes made, whether that's the number of games or how they're spaced out. And we saw a pretty solid shakeup across the framework in terms of the exponential growth of this league because there's going to be 25 weeks played, 13 matches, or 13 home, 13 away, and it'll be an even season. But that's more games. It's 26 games per team. That It was only 22 games last year in 2023. So more games. There's not a buy in the playoffs, which I like this a lot. I love that eight teams can make it to the postseason. Um, and you're exactly right. The teams that got buys this past year, hey, it didn't really benefit them, especially when you throw in an international break right there in the mix of it as well. It ends up being multiple weeks without playing. So there's a lot to take away from this. I think the Challenge Cup is 
is one of the biggest things that we had been teased about throughout the year of, about it was maybe going to go away, it was going to change. And now in 2024, we see the fourth iteration of the Challenge Cup. It started as a bubble tournament and then a preseason tournament and then a in-season tournament. And now the Challenge Cup is just a one-off match at the start of the year between the two winners of the year before, the Shield winners and the championship winners. And I love this excitement to start the year to see how these teams come out. And then we get the regular season the very next day in March. Um, I I love this. I'm excited for everything that's to come. And it's coming way sooner than we expected because March 15th, that Challenge Cup date, very, very soon. Very soon. Yes. Thank you for that, Lisa. Um, This week, Canadian legend Christine Sinclair played her last match for the national team. Sinclair retires from international play, having collected 331 caps, scoring 190 goals, the most ever for a man or woman, and having 54 assists. She is a three-time Olympic medalist, having won bronze two times and a gold at the most recent 2021 Olympics in Tokyo. She will, however, continue to play at the club level in the NWSL for the Portland Thorns. Darian, sing your praises for Christine Sinclair as she says goodbye to her national team. Yeah, it's bittersweet because she's one of those players I think we've all emulated our playing careers after and wanted to follow in her her footsteps. She's made women's soccer a huge footprint for women's soccer in the world. And not only that, I think what's so bittersweet about it is that she's been able to adapt her game so much. I spoke about this on Morning Footy of, you know, she's never been a super flashy player, but she's been able to keep up with the game. I mean, Sink is 40 years old. That's it's pretty wild. And she is still one of the best players in the league and internationally. And the way she does it is you watch her play and she is just so smart and she's able to adapt and read the game. And she's fundamentally amazing. So it's a shame we don't get to see her with Canada, but we get to see these players who are following after her, like Jesse Fleming, who I think plays very similar to her. And so, you know, it's not the end of her mark on football. I'm glad she's staying with the Thorns for 2024. But very bittersweet because you don't think about women's football without thinking about Christine Sinclair. But that just goes to show what an amazing athlete and advocate for women's soccer she has been. And I'm excited to see what she does with Canada in her post-playing career with them. I think we're we're not seeing the last of her. Oh, that's like a hot take. I love that, Darian. Sprinkle that in. I love that. Um, I think a testament to what Christine Sinclair has done to Canada soccer specifically is the fact that they had two friendlies for her in Canada and they were able to celebrate her. They they renamed the stadium Christine Sinclair Place. Like that didn't happen before when players were retiring at this level. She is a reason to celebrate and and hopefully make that a bit more of a norm for Canada soccer to celebrate these players and these incredible careers that they have. As a person, she's a little quieter and a little bit more reserved and she did so much to speak out for herself and for her teammates and for Canada soccer and to kind of get equality for these players that she probably was not like set out to do, but she knew that that was a role that she could take on and make a change. And that's exactly what you saw. You're so right, Darian. So many players emulate their game off of her and, and especially like young Canadian, like Mm -hmm. youth players. They're like, Oh, that's possible. I can do that. It's been incredible to watch her and to cover her. And luckily, we get one more year with Portland. Well, Lisa, you're saying that, you know, oh, players are saying like, oh, that's possible. But is it possible, Sandra, for anyone to beat her record of 190 goals? She's currently the most prolific goal scorer. Look, records are meant to be broken. I think something like that would be an incredible milestone for any striker to achieve. But that is a hell of a lot of goals. I do not know (laughs) if anyone is going to surpass like 191 or even more than that. Uh, I'd love to see it. Who knows? Maybe it will happen. Maybe not in our lifetime. I'm not too sure. The game will probably evolve in a completely different kind of way. Um, It'll have to be a young player. She started or was 16. And I was going to say tournament. She scored a couple, right? Like (laughs) I was going to say, we got it. We're going to have players going until they're like 53 (laughs) at that rate to break that record. (laughs) All right. Thank you, ladies. We're going to have more a three when we return from a quick break. So stay with us. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. 
Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to Attacking Third. We have a bit of news in NWSL. We're going to start with Racing Louisville, where they announced the departure of Wang Shuang. The midfielder will be making her way across the pond to go play for Tottenham. Shuang had 22 appearances, three assists, and two goals over the course of her two seasons with Louisville. Lisa, I know that this was interesting to you because what was it about Louisville that wasn't really capitalizing on everything that Wang Shuang had to offer? Yeah, it's a great way to put it, Jenny, because Wang Chuang is a really good technical player. She plays higher up the pitch, out wide on the wings areas as well. She's good with the ball at her feet, taking on defenders 1v1 and and looking to combine in those tight spaces. And overall, Louisville, I I just don't think fit the style that Wang Chuang was trying to play. uh, Louisville brought in a lot of international players last year and added players to their roster just to try to bolster things. And Wang Chuang definitely added to that when she was on the pitch. You could tell Racing Louisville had a little bit more direction, a little bit more flair. The combination between her and Uchenna Canoe up top, there was moments there of greatness. Now, I mean, less to do about Louisville, more to do about her as an individual player and where she's going now. This is a great get for Tottenham Hotspur, a team that's struggling right now to pick up points consistently in the Super League. They need someone who can come in and every day be a game changer. I mean, if if it's anything like her time at Louisville, when she got to racing, she started immediately on the pitch, playing 90 minutes, getting an impact. I imagine we'll see something similar to that in England with Tottenham because this is a player that immediately can make an impact. She plays internationally with China and she's been with them for a while, like long stretches of international windows with China. So she's been playing consistently there as well. I like this. I'm I'm interested to see kind of how well and quickly she can pick up the Super League game and slot in with Tottenham. But this is a really good get for them in their offense. Yeah. Congratulations to Tottenham there. Beautifully put, Lisa. The Utah Royals have announced yet another piece in their growing roster. Free agent Madison Pogarsh has signed for the expansion side after spending the last season and a half with San Diego, where she played 31 matches between the regular season and Challenge Cup, notching one goal and one assist. Carrie Ricario has signed a new contract with the Chicago Red Stars that will keep her in the Windy City through 2025. Ricario became a key part of the Chicago midfield this season, starting in all 25 of the matches she appeared in. Just a note, guys, Red Stars are still without a head coach although this new contract has gone. Uh, We move on to the Orlando Pride, where they have signed Kylie Strom to a three-year deal following a career-best season for her. The signing comes on the heels of Pride's three-year extension of Emily Madrill. Orlando's looking like a pretty solid back line as of late. Darian? Orlando girly, shout out to Kylie Strom. Congratulations. I think this is so well-deserved because... I think she's been unsung hero for the Pride for a few years now. She's been such a leader on the pitch. Um, she never gets the recognition I think she deserves, but she's been such a solid member, um, been incredibly consistent for them, has stayed healthy. I know she leads in the locker room as well, which is such a great thing that I think Orlando's been missing for years. And so to keep that consistency in for another three years, I think is great for them. And then for them to solidify a back line. You're right, with Madrill signing longer, they have her and how else they're going to build that I think is just by staying consistent and keeping that consistency in the back line because that's what's been Orlando's probably Achilles heel since their inception so I'm excited for her I think this is a really really good move by coach Seb Hines shout out but um yeah congrats Kylie happy for you Awesome stuff, Darian. In more signing and extensions, Amira Ali has re-signed with the San Diego Wave for another year with the option to extend to 2025. Ali was drafted by the Wave in their first season in 2022. In her two seasons with the Wave, she's collected 47 appearances with five goals and one assist. All right, that was plenty of NWSL news and movements and all of the transfers taking place and new contract extensions. We're going to have a quick break and we'll be chatting the U.S. Women's National Team when we come back. It's K- 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The U.S. Women's National Team played the second of their two matches against China this past week, and the match featured a come-from-behind win. There were some positives there, Lisa, especially going down a goal first and coming back. I think Jaden Shaw playing in a bit of her hometown was a big highlight of this match. But what stuck out to you in this match? Jenny, I would say, yeah, highlight they won, highlight for Jaden Shaw. But the highlight that the U.S. went down first, it's a low light. That's a big, big low light for me that the U.S. ends up conceding a goal. And that's just not what they needed to do at all in this match. When you look at kind of overall for the United States and their growth throughout these two friendlies. We got to see players get their first caps, players get their first goals, second goals for Jaden Shaw. That was fourth cap for her, her her first start, her second goal. She does it in her hometown. That is one of the biggest positives out of these friendlies is that so many young players have been able to come into this team, get starts and, and prove themselves on the biggest stage with the United States and do it at a really high level and do it pretty well. It, it bodes well for the future of this team. And that's what makes me happy and not as nervous as I was before about the Olympics or as questionable about what could potentially come in Paris and in just eight short months away from now. There's a lot to take away from it. I I think that the fact that the U.S. did concede a goal against China on a set piece proves to be miscommunication, um, unorganization in the box, and there just needs to be a little bit more ownership in those situations to not allow that to happen. Because we saw at big international tournaments like the World Cup, you can't concede one goal. That's just, you cannot. You have to be tighter. And if you're going to concede one, then you have to score like five or six. So that's just not the case for the U.S. right now. Yeah, like Lisa said there, conceding on set pieces is something that has come out from that match. Sandra, what do you take from that? It's another one. Shout out DJ Khaled. I don't know. I think there's enough footage, I think, at this point in 2023 specifically for not only interim head coach uh, Twyla Kilgore, but also Emma Hayes to take a look at and say, what are the opportunities, right? What are the things that this team is going to work on in this buildup to an Olympic Games? And I'm sure probably number one thing on that list is going to be set piece defending for some reason that has absolutely been the weakness on this team. And they've, we've heard players talk about that before as some of those goals have been conceded saying, Hey, we got to make sure that we tighten things up here, take a look at that. And yet here we are in the final games of, uh, of the calendar year kind of closing out on that. So I'm with Lisa and that it was a good response, right? They can it was something where they found themselves having to come from behind, but hopefully uh, that's something that gets targeted and worked on into the new year uh, because we're just weeks away from 2024. And that means that window and build up to the Olympics is just getting shorter and shorter. So I think with, with these types of matches, I mean, maybe in hindsight, you're going to look at a game like China's and say, Hey, maybe it's a good thing that we had a little bit of an uncomfortable moment here to close out the year because it's just another stark reminder that the work's not done. Yeah, that's a good point there. Darian, what did you take from the match? Sandra, I I really like what you're saying. I completely agree that they shouldn't be conceding on set pieces. And the way that it was conceded was a little crazy. Just somebody not following their mark on the back post, square across the face of the six, and easy tap in. That should just never happen at that level. So I think you're right. There's some some kinks that we need to figure out, but I think overall it's positive. The second match in the first half wasn't the most oh, boring. It didn't, was boring. Didn't have the, <laughs> didn't have the most chemistry. I thought we'll say it for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought it just lacked a lot of chemistry. It seemed everyone was on, on an Island, especially in the middle to attacking third shout out, but it, no, it, I think because that was a new group of players, it's a very new system. It's basically like a two, three, five essentially. And these players that are very used to, you know, U.S. soccer, wingers going 1v1, that's a running game, you're getting end line, now have to pop into these pockets and be very technical, be able to understand pressure a lot more where you don't have the sideline as your friend. 
to know where your defender is going to be in front of you because you're facing the whole pitch. No, now your back is to goal. You're having to check both shoulders. It's a really big adjustment for a lot of these players where U.S. soccer has kind of bred them to be these 1v1 machines. So I think there's a lot of adjustments that need to be made, but this is positive going forward. I mean, I really like this new system and how they attack and this really high back line. I think it's risky, but they're able to pick up so many balls quicker than allowing teams, well, China to get deeper into um, their defensive half. So I know I think it's overall positive. There's going to be a lot of notes and I'm looking forward to the friendlies that they play in 2024 because I think there's going to be even more change. Well, a couple of important things you mentioned there, Darian, the fact that we've already been seeing change, right? You talked about the formation aspect, this higher line. Lisa, what, what do you think about this this higher line? Because I know that we have a, a visual here where we can see how high they were in their average positioning and what that does potentially opens them up for weaknesses, but that's not exactly how they conceded. So how do you feel about yeah. it? It's. I think that it has to do with the formation sh- change and shift that why the U.S. played as they did. Really, most players in their attacking half, when they had the ball there, it was being condensed through the line. So the center backs, it was Germa and Davidson in the second match. They stepped up really high just to close down the, sp- the space. So the midfield was also a little bit more condensed, creating those numerical overloads that I think can benefit the United States. We didn't see it in the first first half, as Dee mentioned, it was a little bit congested and stagnant and slow with the U.S., but there was also seven changes and so many players that hadn't ever played together. So when you look at the back line being pressed so high up for the United States, there are so many pros and cons to that. Pros are they can win the ball. They're really condensed, so they have support for their midfielders in there. It prevents the, like, quick transition because then everyone has to get back. You can only really do that when you have someone like a Naomi Gurma as your center back, a Jenna Nightswanger, Emily Fox, who are lightning fast players that can also get behind. Now, against a different team that's not China, maybe the U.S. doesn't play that high of a line because they know they're going to get burned on whether it's quick one-two combination plays or, or other opposition that can dribble through the lines and then get in behind. And so it, it doesn't matter. And now they have all this space to get in behind. But that's what the positive is. Against China, they knew that they could press that high line up and China didn't capitalize on it. So that's what I am hoping to, that the U.S. is going to see changes moving forward based on the opposition, the strengths and the weaknesses of the opposition and the strengths and the weaknesses of the U.S. back line and whoever the personnel are on the pitch to cater towards what the game is calling for. Ooh, Lisa, I know that that was like a little bit of a shot while being positive. It's the fact that, you know, we needed some more flexibility on this national team. We needed the ability to adjust based upon who we were playing against um, and what was coming at us. So you're While you're being very positive, I'm taking the shot of the fact that they were not doing that previously. Is that no? They weren't. They never were. We never saw. That's what everyone's been calling and asking for a formation change for the U.S. And we already saw that formation change. And the U.S. didn't play as high of a line in their first friendly against China. And then they Mm -hmm. played a higher line in the second game because they they went back and they watched film and they saw that China wasn't looking to stretch. Mm -hmm. So make it compact. And then if the U.S. turns the ball over, there's numbers around it and they can win it back off of China. It's those adjustments from one friendly to the next that have produce changes. And that's a positive that we never really saw before. I agree. And I think it also allows the U.S. to not be so one-dimensional, whereas in the World Cup, every game was predictable. We could have called exactly what the game plan was. Maybe they're going to play long balls from Germa over the top to Trinity or Sophia. That's that's the plan. And maybe that's the small mm-hmm. change. But now they have in their arsenal this new formation, this mock wing back forward Mid- midfield. I, I don't. I don't know what to call it, but I like it. And I think um, that's why it works so well because yeah, it's exactly. a little bit unconventional. It's not something that you you first learn when you're I don't know, like playing soccer when you're 12 years old. It's a formation yeah. that is catered towards the personnel on the pitch. Exactly. That's why I shout out to Mitch Purse because I thought she's come in both games yeah. and balled out. I think that's what's going to be the next bit. I think closing out this year is going to be 
those question marks. It's going to be who were the players that called into this sort of new era camp, right? And who were the players that kind of succeeded in kind of executing what their assignments were versus some of the players that we still need to see. So we saw Jaden Shaw get a full 90 minutes in this one on top of coming off of the bench. We saw the um, me official continue to give more minutes. We saw Mitch Purse, like you said, kind of come in and, and may have an effective role within just some of her limited minutes that she saw within this. But there's still a ton of players that we're going to see within this new era and these next coming camps that we still have those question marks around. What is that going to look like for players who weren't in this camp? Maybe even those more veteran players and how they are going to be receptive to some of these changes moving forward. Beautiful. We have to go to a commercial, but I just have one quick, it's just a one word answer from everyone. Lisa, I'm going to start with you just because that's how it is on here. Overall taste in our mouth after these two friendlies, good or bad, Lisa? Good. Sandra? Taste, delicious. I love that. (laughs) Darian? Uh, Scrumptious. I don't know. Are we going with that? Yeah. (laughs) All right. All right. Sounds good. We're going to have to go to a commercial. We'll be right back. Stay with us. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. It is time for a CONCACAF whip around. Sandra, get us started. What was one of the big stories coming out of CONCACAF for you? You already know who I'm going to talk about. I'm talking about Mexico. I'm in the jersey. I'm in the kid. I'm ready to show all the love to three feminine. They went into this match against Trinidad and Tobago, having already locked things up for the most part in their road to Gold Cup qualifier. They are going to be one of the final 12 teams competing for that W Gold Cup. But I liked how they closed things out in this final match against Trinidad and Tobago. Manager Pedro Lopez kind of utilizing some rotation in this match after we had seen some pretty usual suspects. We did get to see some of those usual suspects in this final starting 11. We did get to see uh, Akenti Robles in the mix. We did get to see Rebecca Bernal in the mix, but a 1-0 win against Trinidad and Tobago. Maybe they will look back at this one and say, probably should have got a couple more goals, but I don't think that that's going to be indicative of, of their overall performance in this Gold Cup group qualifier. I thought they had an excellent end to the year. I think when we're talking about certain national teams and praising other national teams about how they went undefeated in 2023, you know who else did? Mexico. Mexico went undefeated in 2023. So I thought that this was a really great way to go ahead and close out their 2023. You love to see it. I know I love to see it. Very happy with their performance to close things out this year. Hey, I second that, Sandra. I'm incredibly happy for Mexico. For me, my story is Costa Rica getting in uh, via goal differential over Haiti. Okay, so both teams... Um, it came down to how many goals they scored on St. Kitts and Nevis. So in the first match, both of them scored 11 goals against St. Kitts and Nevis. So they were tied. Um, That's considering that they were tied in aggregate playing against each other. So Costa Rica wins the first match or sorry, Haiti wins the first match one nil. And then Costa Rica beats them two to one in the second match. So they're now even Um, they're both win 11 zero against St. Kitts and Nevis. So then the second match against St. Kitts and Nevis, that goal differential ends up being the determining factor on who gets to move into the gold cup. I mean, this is incredible. So um, Haiti goes in and scores 13 goals against St. Kitts and Nevis. And you're thinking, okay, great. Then Costa Rica goes in at an advantage because they already know how many goals they need to score. And they tally 19 goals. Um, six of those goals coming from Maria Paula Salas. So that goal differential is insane. Um, and the fact that they had to, or they knew that ahead of time is kind of a disadvantage for Haiti, right? Like understanding that they had to score that many goals to get in ahead of them. Um, but it was just, incredible in a negative way I would I would say just the fact that it comes down to that goal differential for who goes through um but I do want to mention that Melchi Dumornay um of Haiti got injured and that matters because she underwent ankle surgery that will keep her out um of the field for several weeks putting her participation into the playoff against Puerto Rico at risk so remember they are into the prelims or the playoff situation um and she is such an important player for them that's why that matters. That's, that's a big loss. A that's surgery. really huge. Is a huge loss for them. I hope that that all made sense because I was like really practicing. How do I make sense of this? 
And I hope not. you can't. But you did anyway, somehow, <laughs> some kind of way. That was wild. I couldn't believe that scoreline when I saw it. I, I blinked. Yeah, it's insane. Well, we I shouldn't be seeing those kinds of scorelines, you know? Like, I, even in high school soccer, I think we ended at, like, 10 mil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's fair. I mean, but I also think it's just, like, one of those things where it's, like, th- this This is part of why this component of this Gold Cup exist. Yeah. When CONCACAF decided to get in there and kind of take a look at what was in front of them in terms of tournaments – Took a look at it, remixed it, revamped it, kind of reintroduced it. And now we have this specific tournament in phases. And, uh-huh. and unfortunately, that's part of the growing pains that every once in a while, there may still be some score lines like this. But look what on the other side of it looks what look what that provided for for Costa Rica. Right. All right, Darian, what was your storyline in CONCACAF? My storyline, ladies, is that the Gold Cup and the Olympics are in the same year with this new NWSL schedule. And it's a crazy amount of games for these players. So let us let me walk you through this. So preseason starts on January 29th for NWSL. International break, then boom, six matches if you make it. Let's just say whoever this team is making it all the way to the final, six games. Olympics, six games, 12. 26 NWSL games. Plus, if you make it to the final, that's three games postseason. And then there's a Challenge Cup game. 42 games total, and that's not including international friendlies prepping for these tournaments. And is that including the, like, random international? Oh, yeah, because the players yeah. would be at the... Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's so, crazy. That's yeah. an insane amount of games. And my concern is that depending on what market you're in, what market I mean, like, what team you're with, your recovery is can be dodgy. The NWSL has always been... I mean, I've been hypercritical of the NWSL and the medical care and the... I have like research that goes into just the schedule because it's insanity a lot of the time. Why on earth were we doing three games in one week at points in the NWSL? It doesn't make any sense. So these players that are going to these major tournaments and you have to play with your club in order to get called into these camps and show well and prove yourself. That's a lot. It's a lot on your body. It's not a lot of time to recover. It's a lot mentally, emotionally. I think that's a big part of it we don't talk about enough is being able to have a moment for yourself and come back to humanity and not be in this high-stress, high-competitive environment. So I think it's it's a little bit of insanity of looking at the schedule for these players that uh, the likes of Trinity Rodman, Lynn Williams, um, Naomi Gurma, who are going to be nearly in every single yeah. game that their teams heavily rely upon, U.S. soccer heavily relies upon, and you have to be on. And That's you're all start, time zones. Yes. Start mapping out. Start mapping out those uh, vacation windows whenever there's, a, if yeah. there's any type of break or anything. Vacation windows, sure. sleep schedules. Yep. Like sure, find your hours. Sure you lock it in. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a big one to point out there, Darian. Thank you. I know we got to get to one more. Lisa, talk to me about the College Cup. Yes, Jenny. I know we're doing a CONCACAF whip around, but there was CONCACAF players in this college Mm -hmm. championship for NCAA. Jody Brown, uh, she's a forward for Florida State University. She's a Jamaican international. So that's my connection for this segment. (laughs) The College Cup happened. Florida State University, they have a dominating 5-1 win over Stanford. That's Florida State's second national championship in just three years. And both sides went into this match um, undefeated on the year. Stanford defensively was supposed to be very good. They had only conceded 10 goals in 24 matches this season. And Florida State said, no, okay, well, we're going to change that stat. And they put away five on Stanford. Um, Mm. It was a really exciting game to watch. And I I love that there are so many players that we're going to see coming up through the ranks in the NWSL draft or at these CONCACAF windows or even at the Olympics, because there's a number of internationals. When you look just at Florida State, um, some of the the players that stood out. Of course, there's who I just mentioned, Jody Brown, the Jamaican international. She was a senior forward. Senior forward, Better Olsen. She's a Swedish international. There is Florida State's ACC Offensive Player of the Year, Matt Herman Trophy, Trophy finalist as well. She's a midfielder. It's Oni Echigini, who also plays for Nigeria. So there's a lot of players that people need to keep their eye out for. Um, but this was a really fun game to watch. Congrats to Florida State. They dominated throughout this game, going up two goals in just 26 seconds in the first half before Insanity. getting three more in the second half. It was just wow, wow, domination. Wow. 
Yeah, FSU was always known for having a ton of international players. So it's funny that you point that segue out with the Haiti International. I love that you did that there. We have to move on because we're going to head to Europe next where we're going to talk about UEFA Nations League action. So stay with us. We'll be back. It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. UEFA Women's Nations League had a dramatic last match day. It felt almost conca-cathy, if I may. Uh, Darian, why don't you get us started on your favorite storyline? My favorite storyline, ladies, is Spain's comeback against Sweden. What? Incredible. What the heck? Yeah. This was insanity. So Sweden start off scoring. Spain comes back. Sweden score two more. Spain is down three to one. And I want to know what's going on in these locker room speeches at halftime. England coming back and scoring a crap ton of goals in their previous match. This match, I'm, you know, I, I want to feel motivated by this where I come out and I'm down to score another four goals coming into the game, into the second half in 45 minutes is insane. Castillo at the 51st, Cardente at the 78th and 89th, and then Benitez at the 81st minute. And all of these goals were beautiful. They weren't just like kind of fluky, uh, mis- like really evident mistakes. No, Spain came out and was breaking them down with the play that we've been accustomed to expecting of them. Um, because I think we spoke about it on one of the shows a couple weeks ago, where almost it seems that Spain was a little bit complacent with their play. They were messing with the ball in the six-yard box, in the 18, really poor giveaways. Mm-hmm. And I think lost their identity, not lost their identity, but became complacent. And, and other teams hunted that and saw the weaknesses. And so now that that's happening, Lisa, you mentioned earlier, if you're going to get conceded on, you need to score a lot of goals at this point, which... They came back and did. So I don't know. Maybe we need to do a segment on like a halftime speech on how to motivate because I want that motivation going day to day, <laughs> going to the holidays or something. But yeah, that was that was definitely my my moment of wow this last week. And, and you have to think every team that goes against Spain is going to bring their complete A game because you're going up against the world champion. So the fact that Spain was able to come back in this one, I agree, Darren. It was This was a crazy, crazy game. I loved it. All right, Lisa, that takes me to your story, Ireland. Yeah, this Irish women's national team has had themselves a year because they made it to their first ever World Cup. They got their first ever World Cup goal. They got their first ever World Cup point. And then during this UEFA Nations League, they get promoted. They they were in a group where it didn't take them long. It was actually after their second match uh, against Albania. If, if you guys remember that game, it was all over social media because there was torrential downpour. The field basically turned into a swimming pool. They took a huge break at halftime, about an hour delay. And Ireland comes back out onto the pitch and Denise O'Sullivan, she gets an 88 minute incredible cracker of a goal and they win. And this win propels Ireland. Now the AR promoted to League A in the UEFA Nations League, which is incredible. So throughout this Nations League, they proved that they deserve to be in the top tier league. They did because they went 6-0. and oh, They scored 20 goals with multiple different goal scorers. There's eight different goal scorers. And of course, your heavy hitters, Katie McCabe, Kyra Carusa, they each had five goals. And that just shows you the dominance of this Irish side that they were able to do this uh, despite a lot of the circumstances and the weather and they're they're proving themselves in this women's game and that as much as the ceiling continues to raise for the women's side the floor is also coming up too and Ireland wants to be at the top and this proves it they're they're getting promoted to league a congrats Irish ladies Yes, congrats to the Irish ladies indeed. And if you guys have not seen that footage of the torrential downpour in that match, look it up because it is insane. It is insane. I can't even believe it. Sandra, what is your storyline? I'm going to show some love to France here, okay? I had to show some love to France. Who doesn't love baguettes? Okay, I know I do. (laughs) 
So, France, a little bit of an interesting kind of angle going into this uh, UFS Nation League. They are already qualified for the Olympics. They are going to be there as the hosts where the Olympics are going to be held in Paris. But they went undefeated in this group stage. Five wins, one draw, a 0-0 draw against Norway. But a pair of wins to close out the calendar year for them. A 3-0 win against Austria on December 1st. Any more narrow uh, 1-0 win over Portugal. So I like how they kind of utilize this unique opportunity in front of them during this Nations League competition because they don't have that pressure of, of sort of you know needing that extra qualification spot. They're already there. But it gives a unique advantage to kind of utilize the tournament as additional prep. Ahead of the Olympic Games, you can evaluate players individually and by line as well. And we got to see that a little bit in this final December window from manager Irv Renard, that he's a manager showing that he's willing to manage player load and evaluate in the build-up to the Olympics. Uh, we got to see the return of a Maria Antoinette Cototo in this one, and not only did she put in an incredible shift in over 45 minutes, but also got a goal uh, as well, and I know a lot of folks were excited about that, but in getting a chance to take a look at different players across different lines, you also get to take a look at the kind of reemergence and form from some of these other players who have been longtime staples of the team. Amandi Henri also getting on the board as well, but Wendy Renard having massive games for this franchise and serving as captain as she rightfully should be, but also having to kind of take a look at that player management as well. So while folks were celebrating the return of Katoto, she ends up getting uh, as a precaution sent out of camp. So no Diani and no Katoto for her to kind of close out the year, but Urban Art kind of took that as a little bit of advantage to say, Hey, like we have an opportunity here to play precaution. The two attackers are feeling a little bit of muscle tightness in the thigh. So let's just make sure that we shut them down for the year and maybe call in some other folks to, to get even more extended looks at this. So I like that they're out there still kind of putting the front foot forward, still competing for things. They know there's a trophy to win here, even though they already have that qualification spot already. Beautiful. Um, who doesn't love a baguette is something I need to put on a shirt and sign. <laughs> and, a, and a croissant. <laughs> and a croissant. <laughs> and croissant. We'd also be remiss to not share that our producer, Courtney, keeps calling it the Renardissance. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is. The Just have to mark. put that out there. He's back. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So for my storyline, it is Great Britain not going to the Olympics. That is the big storyline, but the story of how that happens, I found so interesting. And I've been, again, trying to practice to make sure that I'm going to say this all properly. So stop me if I'm wrong here. So the goal differential aspect in group A was so close. So where we are now is England is playing against Scotland. They are up 6-0, and things are looking great for them because at that point, Netherlands and Belgium was 2-0. So England is still leading the group on goal differential, right? They're tied on points, but goal differential-wise, England is leading the way. Netherlands then scores a third goal, and they are then tied. So once that game has ended, meaning England and Scotland, they're just waiting to see what happens with Netherlands and Belgium. Netherlands score a fourth goal, at the very end, that ends the hopes for England getting into the Nations League final and Great Britain going to the Olympics. So it all happened in a very short span of time and very quickly. Although they win that match 6-0, it is out of their hands when Netherlands scores that fourth goal and goal differential is what separates them, which is kind of what happened in CONCACAF as well. That goal differential is what um, gets someone in, someone out. That's just how the game works. Am I all good there, guys? Was that not insane? Yeah, Jenny, well done. Both very well said. CONCACAF, yeah, I don't know how you- uh, your details are on point. I was going to say, you chose the most like wild games. I like hard to explain. And you nailed it. (laughs) The timing there. Um, Beautiful. Well, there was so much that was happening in CONCACAF and in uh, Europe. So we made sure to cover that. Uh, We're going to go to a quick break because we are going to talk about the upcoming match in WSL between Arsenal and Chelsea. That's a big number one, number two matchup. Stay with us. Like I mentioned, Arsenal up against Chelsea in the WSL. Arsenal will look to draw level with Chelsea at the top of the table this weekend at the Emirates. This is a big match, as big as they come in the WSL. But I will say, Emma Hayes did not say so in the pre-match press conference. She was like, it's just any other game. I don't want to overblow this. I don't want to blow this out of proportion. But for you guys, Sandra, we'll start with you. Which players are you expected to be difference makers in this match? Oh, my goodness. I mean, 
I'm looking at anybody who is eager or able to perform in this game coming off of those nations league matches who who are who's the personnel that just had to deal or go through a bit of this heartbreak a little bit that can go ahead and perform this weekend are they going to be motivated by that are we going to see the likes of beth meter lauren james go head to head we'll we'll see i mean these are two managers coming into the fold that are unafraid to to respect player player minute load and management along the way. So I'm, I'm curious as to who's going to be available. I, I like the possibility of maybe seeing a girl riding back in the mix, but I, I know this is someone who has been unavailable for this team for, for quite some time due to injury. I think it's going to come down to that. Who's going to be that actual X factor type of player. It pains me to think it even though Jenny, because I know you and I are both Chelsea fans. I do wonder if Arsenal is the hotter team right now going into this weekend's match. And not only that coming off of these incredible, wins their coach getting manager of the month mm-hmm. goal of the month I believe as well for 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 the players so I'm curious having all that combined with a very exciting atmosphere is going to tip the scales a bit in this one Ooh, that's a, that's a hot take Sandra oh, I hate it sorry go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no I, I I like that take a lot Sandra you're exactly right the players their international window is is probably going to influence this a little bit just based on emotions how much they've had to do right that if, if you're playing in that rainy game with Ireland like how how exhausted are you but it's also a rivalry game I know Emma Hayes said it was it was just another game no it is and that elevates everything in this match it, the fans the stadium your preparation your mindset and your game plan these are two sides that know each other really well and they've also watched them throughout the season dominate and and play their best games right so these coaches as well that's what they want to do is it's a chess match at this point we're not playing checkers and Beth Mead is is back is back she's coming off a brace with Arsenal in their last league play that they had against West Ham in that 3-0 win so that's a player that's also looking to continue to build on what she's already done Arsenal is has tightened up defensively over their last couple of weeks of league play as well, which to me doesn't mean that Chelsea's not going to score, but it just means that it's going to be a, a little bit longer throughout this game before things become unlocked and, and broken down for either side. But this, it's a big one. Like, I love this matchup. Darian? I mean, I agree with you guys. I also think another element is... Emma Hayes is leaving. These players want to come in and show out for her. You live for these matches. She's also been the one to make this, make this league and this Chelsea team and the rivalries what it is. So I think when this is one of the last few times that you'll be able to get to do this and rep her and go out on the field, especially with them not qualifying, I would have a little bit of an extra chip on my shoulder to go show out this weekend and just play my heart out. Like, I probably would have some pent up anger and like frustration. I'd want to just go and be like, this is why we deserve to be in. But also you get to play with your club team who you spent a lot of time with, you have the most chemistry with and play for your coach who you know is leaving, but has paved the way for all of you to get to this point. Yeah. I'm clearly with Chelsea. Yeah. <laughs> you guys I mean, my, heart is, my heart is 100%. I think it might come down to depth. I really do think it might come down to mm. the deepest bench in this one. We'll see how it goes. Well, if yeah. it does come down to that, Sandra, I'm going to assume you're going to go... Chelsea on deepest bench. Yeah, I'll go deepest bench with Chelsea. Jenny, I want to know from you. You're a big Blues gal. Uh, what do you mm-hmm. think about this matchup? What are you expecting? <sighs> no, I agree with what Darian said about you know showing out for your manager and everything, and really just the impact that Emma Hayes has on that team is very very clear. Every time they speak about her, every time she speaks about them, there's so much respect, and that counts for something. But there's something about Arsenal that makes me a little bit worried, and it's Cena Blackstinius. I mean, every time she's mm-hmm. on for Club of yeah. Country, she is lethal. She will finish her chances. So if they find a way to lock her down, that's a big one for me. And I am now being told that we have to go, except thank you for the question back. I'm going to go with Chelsea winning just because what everything Darian said. I respect it. And that's where my heart lies as well. But thank you guys so much for joining us here on Attacking Third. As always, we're going to be back on Monday following the W Gold Cup draw. See you then. It only takes two minutes of sheer horror. 
a new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with a pillows. Leaving corpses all over Texas. How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.